Good morning, Crossroads Ministries. It's great to be worshiping you here this morning. If you're not turn with us, would you please stand as we worship our great God. For those of you who are joining us online, of course, we want to thank you for joining us as well and tuning in.
Well, good morning, everybody. You may have a seat. We're wa- we want to welcome everybody. We're glad that you're all here. Um, all of our guests, welcome. We're thrilled that you're here. Please stop by the Welcome Center on your way out. We have a gift for you, and we would love to talk with you. So all of our guests, welcome. Those joining us online, welcome. And welcome to those joining us maybe for the first time uh, this morning. We're glad that you are here at joining us at Crossroads. Hey, church, if you look in your bulletin, there's a whole host of things coming up. But a few things I want to point your attention to is that our faith, uh, how to share your faith workshop is tonight uh, at 6 p.m. And so if you would like to come to this, uh, you can show up. But we'd love to know if you're coming. So just stop by the Welcome Center and you can sign up for that. Or you can go online on our website and you can sign up for the How to Share Your Faith workshop that Pastor Ken is going to be leading tonight at 6. And then um, you see all the boxes in the foyer. Uh, all the red and green, and uh, if you are colorblind, they're all the boxes that are against the wall. Um, but listen, it is a great—it's uh, a—it's a great opportunity to see these boxes because each of these boxes represent a child. And if you think about it like that, it changes your perspective because every box is going to go to a child that's going to receive this gift, and then they're going to hear of the greatest gift, which is Jesus Christ. And so, just look at each box as a gospel opportunity. And so grab a couple boxes, pack them, and then bring them back to the church, and then we're going to send them out. But also on the 15th of November at 630, we're going to be having a church-wide packing party. And so what this means is that our normal Wednesday night activities, we're going to be all as a church going over to the gym at 630. And we're going to have all these tables that are going to be separate, have all the items that go in those boxes are going to be separated. And we're going to have one gigantic packing party. And so please come on out on the, on, on the 15th of November at 6.30. We're having our church-wide packing party. But here's the deal. All these things that we're going to provide on the tables, um, we, we, listen, it's, uh, we want to go above and beyond. We want to ask God to do more than we can possibly imagine. And so if you would like to give um, to, to purchase some of these items that will go in these boxes, um, you can just designate packing party um, or you can – uh, just write packing party. You can write OCC, um, any of those things, and it will all go towards buying items that will go in those boxes at the packing party on the 15th. And so, church, let's let's ask God to just just blow our minds and and far exceed our goal. And so, looking forward to seeing everybody on the 15th of November, uh, 6:30 over in the gym for a packing party. And then the 22nd of November, we're having our Thanksgiving Eve night of worship and communion. We're going to be uh, receiving communion as a church. We're going to be giving thanks. Uh, so we're going to pause before we have our, our Thanksgiving uh, meals and celebrations with our family. Um, we're going to be on Wednesday night, the 22nd at 7 p.m. right here in the auditorium. We're going to be having a night of worship and communion, and we're going to hear stories of Thanksgiving, and we're just going to have a time to pause and just say, God, thank you. You know, we, we, we should do that every day, and we're going to do that right before we have our Thanksgiving meal on the 22nd. We're going to do that as a church family at 7 p.m. Listen, we had our trunk and treat. Anybody get, anybody get to come up on uh, Wednesday night for Trunk and Treat? It was, it was phenomenal, right? And so uh, I, I want to just, just – you look at the screen. You can see some of these pictures. And listen, I want to share with you. We had 600 kids, which is incredible. That's incredible. And we had over 1,000 people that, sh- that came. I mean, it was a beautiful night. We had 63 trunks. Uh, pe- we had people cooking hot dogs. We had people running back and forth with hot chocolate, serving water. And I think we had, what, 1,500 hot dogs. That's a lot of hot dogs. Um, but listen, th- from the time that we started talking about this, God has been moving in people's hearts. And so we saw just an incredible amount of people. And again, it's not just a lot of people. That's not the goal. What's, what the goal is is that we as a church had an opportunity to show joy and just to laugh 
I mean, one of the friends that we invited, he, that he and his wife brought out their two boys, and he said, I could not believe that there was people that actually wanted to talk to me. They wanted to, they were, ha- they were happy. What a great showing to, to a world that is so lost to see a group of people that is truly have joy, and they're like, why? <laughs> what is it that they have? What is up here on this hill that, that they have that I don't have? And so uh, it's Jesus. And so thank you, church. So can we celebrate? Can we clap and thank God for what he did at Trunk and Treat? It was phenomenal. I'd like to ask that all of us, uh, would you all stand here in the house this morning as we continue on in worship? And, you know, we're going to pause and and just go before the Lord here in a second. But um, I want to say thank you for being faithful. Faithful, Faithfully serving this last Wednesday. And also thank you for being, for faithfully giving. Uh, you can give online. You can use offering boxes here at the church. Um, you can give through the mail. But church, thank you for being faithful unto the Lord and to the mission to bring people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. Let's pause and let's pray. God, thank you for um, just all that you did on Wednesday. God, we pray for all the, all the people that came. God, every person that came matters. Every life matters to you. And so, Lord, thank you for the opportunity we had, Lord, for the wonderful weather we had, for, um, God, the army of people from our church here at Crossroads that just said, I will sacrifice my time. Um, God, we went to the store and bought candy. There was a sacrifice. Um, You know, just all these things, God, because we want to see kids and their families, our communities, our city and this nation, this world, turn to you. And so, God, we lift up all these events. These are not just more things to just cloud up our and muddy up our schedules. These are all opportunities to, to build relationships and grow as a community uh, of followers of Jesus, to, to see uh, opportunities for our friends and family and people that we just met for the first time to hear about the life-changing power of Christ. God, that's why we do what we do. So, Lord, we ask, uh, Holy Spirit, Lord, that you would guide us and, and direct our paths, that you would um, just illuminate the word this morning as we read, that we would walk out of here not the same. And so, God, thank you for everyone here, those who are tuning in, joining online. And, God, we know that we record these gatherings, and we know people watch it later. So, God, you're on the move. Thank you for allowing us to be a part of what you're doing here. We ask it all in the powerful name of Christ. Bye. 
Father God, we come before you this morning looking for hope, looking for grace, looking for peace that only you can provide. Lord, you gave us all those things in the sacrifice of your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, we ask that you open up our hearts this morning. Let your Holy Spirit dwell in us as we prepare to open up your word. In your most precious name we pray. to continue on our series this morning on the exiles. Before we do, I just want to direct your attention to a list that I put in your bulletin today. This is the birthday gift to Jesus list. And so what I want to encourage you to be thinking about is uh, are the, these are our global partners. These are our missionaries around the world. These are our global partners. We have people in Haiti and Ecuador, the Philippines, and the list goes on. There are 44 people on this list that we're going to be blessing. And so we're going to raise an offering here this this Christmas. I'm going to ask everyone in the church to begin to pray. You can begin to give to this. Um, all you have to do is designate your gift. When you give through the offering boxes or online or through the mail, you just designate it as birthday gift to Jesus. And uh, for those of you that are new to our church, let me just explain this a little bit. Every year, we ask our church family to, uh, to give more to Jesus than to anybody else on your Christmas list. So you have your, you have your Christmas list. You're buying for your kids. You buy for your parents. You buy all these gifts, right? And then quite often, Jesus gets completely forgotten. And so uh, we're trying to make this holiday more about Jesus than anything else. And so uh, that's one great way to do that is by giving to him more than anybody else. So I want to ask you to begin to pray about this. Uh, you'll see more about this, but I at least wanted to get the names and the locations of the folks that are on that list. You can begin to look at that, and each week we're going to give you a little bit more information about about this offering. In just a few weeks, we'll put a thermometer up, and on uh, and you'll see we'll report the progress each week as God begins to give the funds. So you can begin to give already for that. Some people will like to give a, a small gift every 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 week from now till the end of the year. And, uh, and that's how they give. Others will give one lump sum. They'll give it maybe on Christmas Eve or the week before Christmas or whatever. So I want to encourage everyone. This is a tremendous opportunity that we have here at the church. Last year we set the goal to 100,000, and, uh, and more than 100,000 came in. I think it was closer to about 150. The last two years we've gotten close to 150,000 that came in. And so anything that comes in over and above will go exactly to these missionaries. So. It gets distributed to all of them. Not one penny of it stays here. Amen? So let's thank God for the past victories that he's given us and, uh, and look forward to the future. Um, and I know just because we, we've seen it done in the past doesn't guarantee the future. So what, what I want to encourage us to do, Ephesians 3.20 says to, uh, that our God can do exceedingly abundantly above what we could ask or think. So I want to encourage you to 
to do and seek the Lord, to ask Him to do exceedingly abundantly more than what we could ask or think. You, have, you know, I think God could do 100,000. Maybe God could do 200,000. Whatever God decides to do. So I'm going to ask Him, and I want to ask you to join me in prayer, and let's see what God will do. We've got this packing party coming up. You see the insert in your bulletin there. And uh, we're, we're encouraging people to give to that as well. Maybe you could give to help so we can go buy some more supplies. Roger Metcalf has a goal of 500 boxes. I said my goal is double that. I'd love to see us just keep going and going and going. And uh, take those boxes in the foyer. Let's get rid of them. I, I, I don't want to see red boxes out there. Go get them, right? Let's get them home and fill them up. Go, my wife and I, we're taking a bunch. We're going to go fill them up as well. And we bring them back. Others will come to the packing party. Maybe you could help support the packing party. So one man in our church went out and bought 2,000 toothbrushes. 2,000 toothbrushes. I don't even know how you buy 2,000 toothbrushes, but he did. And so I'm thankful for the, the people of our church that are getting into this. And why? Because when we give, we're more like Christ than anything else. Christ loved the world that he gave. So I want to encourage you to be thinking and praying about that as we roll into the Christmas season here. Of course, we're going to have this Ernie Haas concert coming up. I want to encourage you to get your tickets now because those are going to go. This place will be packed out. Ernie Haas uh, is a Grammy-nominated and Dove Award-winning group. They'll be here. They were here two years ago. Fantastic group, but the mission is to bring a friend. So I want to encourage you, go out and buy a ticket for a friend. I've got a neighbor. I'm going, and last year I got him too late. I was talking to him, and he said, man, you know I love music. I said, I would never think you're into music at all. He goes, I, literally, he goes, I love music. And I told him about what I had, what the concert. He goes, I would have came to that. So I'm buying his ticket this year and, um, and hoping that he comes. So if not, there'll be an empty seat right next to me. So uh, I just want to encourage you. Let's see what God will do and uh, see how God will use us this Christmas. All right? We've got a lot of opportunities. You're going to hear a lot more about that coming up. As we jump into our, our message today, you know, that's really what, what our message is about is how does the church look to the world? You know, as we, we're out here, we're giving, we're doing these events, we, we're, uh, we're trying to build a community of faith up here. This is our, our faith community here. We're trying to follow God in prayer. We're trying to worship Him. How does it look to the world? What does the world see in us as a church? I'm so thankful for, for whenever I hear people in our church that come and they're new, when they're new and they come to Christ. A lot of people have come to Christ this past year. And whenever I hear some of the statements, one of them, somebody just came to Christ this week here at the church. And uh, this person popped their head in and wanted to know about eternal life. And uh, this person said this, I want what you people have here at this church. I want what you people have here at this church. I've been coming. I've been watching. I see how the people treat, how the people treat each other, how the people treat me. And I want that. And you see, that's what happens whenever we live a life that's attractive to the world. What will make us look attractive to a lost world? What will make us look attractive in the dark? You know, you go outside in the dark world. It is dark out there. How does the church look attractive to a dark world? Well, it's not through gimmicks. It's not through games. It's through learning how to become like Christ. We went through the, the book of First Peter. We've been just taking our time going verse by verse. From chapter 2, verse 11, into chapter 3 here, it's all been about how the world is watching us believers on this stage. 
This is our stage. We get to live out in the world. And as we go out there and live in your work and your family and your recreation and all aspects of life, the world is watching us. And whenever they come in here and they say, man, I want what they have. You see, that's an attractive Christian. So today I'm going to talk to you about how to be attractive. How to be an attractive Christian. And what does it mean to be an attractive Christian? Peter tells us here in the scripture what it means to be an attractive Christian. He says, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 8. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil, reveling for reveling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. But to the face, of, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. So we've looked at, the, at some major areas of social interaction. One of them is how we interact with the government. He told us to submit to the government. Another one was on your job. How do we interact with your employer? Submit to your employer. You become the hardest worker. I heard a story today of somebody in our church, hard worker, and uh, the blessing of God was upon their hand as a hard worker. Um, the government, the, our work, and then our family. How, how do I interact with my family? The submission within the family. And so we saw this general theme of, of how we live life. You see, the world can see those areas. The world's not coming into our gatherings. The world can only see you when you go out to work. They can only see you how you interact with your family. They see you when you're in Walmart, how you, how you treat your kids when you're standing in line and your kids act up. They see everything about you, and that's what attracts them to, to our God. The more that we become like our God, the more that we, become, uh, that, that, that we are an attraction to the world. Listen, they will come to our God whenever they see the difference in us. Tertullian, he was a church historian. He said that the Roman government was so suspicious of the churches because that they were growing, uh, the Christian church, because they were growing so rapidly that they would send out spies into the church to check them out. Now, I don't know that we've ever had a spy in our church, you know. I mean, it's interesting that a spy would show up. But the government sent a spy into the church to find out what was going on. And here's what the spy, one spy noted this. He said, these Christians are very strange people. They meet in an empty room to worship. They have no image. They speak of one by the name of Jesus who is absent, but whom they seem to be expecting at any moment. And my, how they love him and how they love one another. And so here we see, even from the outsider's world, man, hey, listen, there's something different about those people. They get together and they talk about a man who's not even there. And sorry, Roman spy, I disagree with you. Jesus is here already. He may not be sitting on the front row, but he's in every row. He's in your heart. He's with you. And the scripture says, where two or three are gathered together in my name, there I am in the midst. And so God is here this morning with us. And that's an attractive church. Whenever we worship God and we learn how to love him and love each other. 
See, this is the attitude of the church. And I, I want you to catch this because God's called us to be growing believers. And as growing believers, we do two things. We love God and we love people. Would you say that with me? Growing believers love God and love people. Now, as we look at this scripture here this morning, I'm reminded Jesus, when he was asked about eternal life, he said you're to love God and you're to love people. That's our, the great commandment that we have. We love God. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And the second is like it. The second commandment is to love people. These are the two things. If you, can, if you let this be the theme of your life, you'll be a growing believer. You love God and you love people. Here's the thing. Many people will tell me that they love God. They've got such knowledge of the Bible. They're studying the Word, and they've got, they're getting something deeper, and they're learning all these things, but then they don't treat their wife with respect. They don't have general love for the body of Christ. They don't, uh, they don't care about their employer. They're going to buck the system constantly, and they don't love people. God's called us to love God and love people. The way that we'll know if you love God is if you are loving people. So you can't love God without loving people. He, he, he made them, they're so connected. You must love God and then love people. So look at the, the verse that we're going to be hitting here. Uh, verse 8, we're going to be spending a lot of time on this verse this morning here. This is a five-fold description of this attitude of loving God and loving people, particularly on the loving people side. Finally, all of you have unity of mind. So I'm going to give you five of them in your notes there under, under that heading of love God and love people. Finally, all of you have unity of mind. We're going to call that like-minded unity. Like-minded unity. Now, when I say the word unity, you typically come up with this idea that we have to think everything the same and that we're all, everything is exact. But let me tell you that that would be called uniformity. We're not into uniformity. We're into unity. So... This is what happens. You think that we are like-minded if you agree with me, not if I agree with you, right? It's like if I come and I say, hey, as long as you're on the same page as I am, then we agree. But the moment you disagree, you're wrong, and I'm right, right? And that's where, that's where we go. So like-minded, a mind of unity, okay, the, uh, the unity of mind is, is not to be thinking the same things all the time. It doesn't mean that we don't ever have disagreements or differences. The church has historically had differences. Today, if I were to bring up a few discussions, there would be a lot of differences. If I were to say, let's talk about politics. Ooh, them's fighting words. Right? If I said, all the blue on one side, all the red on the other side, we've got a war going on, right? Um, the church, there are people in our church that vote on all sides of the political party. How about styles of clothing? If we were to talk about styles of clothing, you know, the way that one person dresses, the way another person dresses. How about TV shows, just the things that you'll watch on TV? How about the styles of Christian music? You know, we can get into that. Like, what songs do we sing in church? You know, there's about 7 million Christian songs, I think. <laughs> We have to pick four of them every week. And some people are like, well, why aren't you singing this song? Why aren't you singing that song? What about my song? Well, we should sing these songs because the, the, the church sang them before. And I, want you, I want you to be reminded that every song was a new song at one point. Man, those old songs that we love, and I love them dearly, they were all new in 1600. They were all new in, you know, 
<laughs> and they were. I'm just telling you. The, the, and, and so imagine the church as they fought back then. Why aren't we singing what Peter sang? We don't know what Peter sang because you still want to sing that. You see, we have God's Word. God's Word is what unifies us, not our differences, not our likes and our dislikes. Um, what, what brings us together? One man said this. He said, if two people agree on everything, one of them isn't thinking. You will always have a disagreement. That happens at your home. Uh, a husband and wife are going to disagree. That's just life, right? So you have to learn how to disagree agreeably. And so the early church, they had disagreements. Let me give you a few of the early church's disagreements. Uh, how about eating meat that was sacrificed to idols? The Greeks would have the, the people would come and they would make their sacrifice, and they had all this meat laying around that was sacrificed to these non-existent gods, right? So the Christians would say, man, that's some cheap meat. We can go buy that at Aldi's. You can buy that, and that's the meat they sell at Aldi's, right? So I'll go there, and I'll get my hot dogs at Aldi's. They make that from meat that was offered to idols. Then there's another group of Christians that says, how dare you? That's so wicked. Those people, they were that meat was offered to idols. I'd probably be on the campus and say, man, it's just cheap food. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, why, why pay $10 for a hamburger when I can pay $5 for it, right? And this was the mentality. So there was arguments. There was the argument of uh, what, what day should we worship on? Should we worship on the Sabbath? There are some people to this day that will only worship on the Sabbath. That's Friday sundown to Saturday sundown. That's their day of worship. In the New Testament, we see now that worship has become on the first day of the week. That's Sunday. That's why we're here today, because we're worshiping on the first day. I told the Saturday night crowd, they're somewhere between Sabbath and the first day of the week, right? They're, they're there on Saturday night, and they come to worship. Today, we worship on any day of the week. I know some churches that have a Thursday night church service. I know churches all over the country doing different things to help reach people for Jesus Christ. So a, a like-minded unity means that we cooperate in the, in the midst of diversity. You know, Paul and Barnabas, they argued over John Mark. They argued to the point that they ended up becoming two different missionary trips. There was Paul and Barnabas, and then it becomes Paul and Silas. And so, so you had two, two different missionary journeys. So now the gospel was spread over a disagreement even. Uh, Jesus prayed for the unity of the church. Check this out. Over in the book of John, we see the John chapter 17, verse 20. It says, I do not ask for those for these only, but also for those who believe in me through their word, uh, that they may all be one just as you. Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that, we, uh, so that the world may believe that you have sent me, that they may be one. Just as the Father is in the Son and the Son is in the Father, he says that we should be one. That's Jesus' prayer for us. And so there are many disagreements in the body of Christ today. But here's where it has to be. We cannot surrender. There's a few things we cannot surrender. We cannot surrender that this Bible is the Word of God. Amen? This is what we build everything. Everything in this church is built on this book right here. This is the revelation from God. This is the truth from God. And everything in it, lifestyle, choices, decisions, everything must come through this book. This is the authority of our church. 
and it's got to be the authority of your life if you're a Christ follower. If you say you're a Christ follower, that, and so here's what happens. We live in a world today where churches are not believing this stuff anymore. Churches are saying, well, I'll just do whatever I want because I love people and I don't want anybody to be offended. Well, guess what? I'd rather people be offended than God be offended. Amen? I have a holy obligation before God to stand up here and proclaim the truth. And you do as well. As we go out into the community and we proclaim the truth, but we proclaim it in peace. We proclaim it as peacemakers. We proclaim it in passion, compassion. We must agree on the core issues. Let me give you the basic gospel here. Jesus is God. We must agree on that. He is God. If he is God, then everything he says, I believe. He quoted this Old Testament. It's all over the New Testament. I believe the Old Testament because Jesus quoted the New Testament. Why? Uh, Because Jesus in the New Testament quoted the Old Testament. Why? Because he is God. And if he is God, then what he says goes. Jesus died on the cross to pay for our sin. The reason that he went, he went to the cross as the sinless son of God. And he died on the cross. He paid for your sin once for all forever. And he says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. He was buried. He rose again the third day. We must agree on these things or we cannot work together. So that's what unity, that's the like-minded unity. But there will be disagreements. The early church disagreed. We'll have many disagreements through the years. But let us have the mind of Christ. Philippians 2, 5 says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Uh, the second thing, 1 Peter 3, 8 says, Finally, all of you have unity of mind. Have sympathy. Now, sympathy, that's an interesting thought. How do I have sympathy? Well, that means that you have a mutual interest. So you have a mutual interest in the family of God here. Sympathies means this. It means to feel an emotion or to hurt together. When we are all close, we will affect each other in the community. So as we start to do life together, I begin to feel your pain. You begin to feel my pain. As the pastor, I feel a lot of people's pain. People will share with me all the time. I hear people tell me about illnesses, loss, loss of jobs. Loss of relationships, loss of life. And as we walk the journey together, it doesn't come to me and I go, oh, that was another work day. I cry. I weep. Why? Look what Jesus says here. uh, I'm sorry, Romans, Paul says this here. He says, rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. So we are to weep with those who weep. We are to rejoice with those who rejoice. Even if somebody is getting something that you thought you should have gotten, and they got it instead. Oh, we were both applying for the same job, and, and, and they got that job, and I didn't. You know what you do? You rejoice with those who rejoice. You weep with those who weep. And so there are times that we have to get down, and we have to get into the trenches with each other, and we cry with one another, and we rejoice with one another. And so there are many times in the church that, uh, that, that we don't have that mutual interest. But we get that mutual interest as we begin to spend more time together. You know, we have about an hour and a half on Sundays together here, right? You get in here about 15 minutes early. You get a cup of coffee. Get your kid checked in downstairs. Um, and then we, we're in here for roughly an hour, hour and 10 minutes. 
of which I'm talking to you for about 35 minutes, right? And then we get up and we have 15 minutes on the other side of that, and then we're on our way. Well, we've got to have more time together. And so the church cannot just be the church on Sunday. It has to be the church on Monday, on Tuesday, and Wednesday, and Thursday, and Friday. The church must be interacting. We, we cannot, listen, as the pastor, I cannot possibly bear everybody's burden. One, I cannot know everybody's burden. There are about a thousand people that call this church their home. They're coming and going. People are here. We, I know people. I know different seasons of life when people will be coming and going, different times of the year. I, can, I, can, I, can, I know my people. I'm a shepherd, right? But there's no way I can know everything about everybody. There's no way I can hear. Nobody can, I wouldn't have a, enough time on the phone to answer every phone call of every person that says, man, I'm hurting. I've got this problem. I hear some of them, and the ones that I hear, I weep with. The ones that I hear I rejoice with for those that are rejoicing. But what has to happen is the whole church must do this. It can't be something that you call the office for care and love. Care and love happens all throughout the week. It happens by you sharing your cell phone with somebody else. It happens by you having a coffee with somebody else. It happens by you being the church and going out and ministering. First Corinthians says, if one member suffers, all the members suffer with him. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with him. And so this is the, the atmosphere that God wants us to have. It's, a, it's an atmosphere of love in the church. And so as we build this, we continue to do this, this is so attractive to the lost world because the lost world knows no place like this. Go into the local PTA. You will see all kind of issues at the local PTA because there's a lot of humans. And guess what? We have issues here, too, because there's a lot of humans. But you know what we have? We have somebody that unites us. His name is Jesus. And as we are united on Jesus, he transforms us. We have people who know how to say, I'm sorry. You know, that's a, that's a tough word to say, isn't it? I'm sorry. The, the, the toughest of men need to learn how to say, I'm sorry. When you learn how to say, I'm sorry, your life will be transformed. I'm sorry. And this is what happens in the body of Christ. We have got to have a mutual interest, uh, a, a brotherly love. Look here. Um, finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, and brotherly love. You know what that is? That I'm going to call that a true companionship, true friendships. Uh, love is brothers. You know, when I think about that, brotherly love. Brotherly love, how many have had a brother? How many of you have a brother? Yeah. You know what brotherly love is all about, don't you? You ever have a spar with your brother? Brothers don't always get along, do they? Brothers sometimes get into wrestling matches. But when they walk out the door, they're brothers. And, and I can't help but think that that's part of the application here in the church. I told the story in the first hour, so I might as well share it with you here. When I was a young youth pastor here in the church in my early 20s, I'll never forget, we had these movie nights here. They were... Back when we used to have Sunday night service, and we used to set up this gigantic screen here on the stage. And so myself and another person were assigned to that because we were the youngest ones around. And uh, I had to set up an old projector. It was set up on the balcony, had these big reel-to-reels, and we watched Chuck Swindoll, Straightening Your Grip, okay? So we put that, I would put that up here, click, 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 click. But there was just one problem. We had to get it done in time for the church because everybody came back. So we had church in the morning, then you had church in the night. 
And so me and my friend, we were in here, and we just got on each other's nerves. It was the middle of July. It was hot. And uh, we just kind of started taunting each other. And before you know it, right here, we were wrestling each other. Right there in the middle of the day, in the middle of the afternoon, there were hard pews in here. They, they weren't even the chairs at this point. There were hard pews, and here we are. We're wrestling each other. These are two brothers in Christ, two staff members wrestling each other in the middle of the day. And you know what happened? I remember, I think we made about halfway down that aisle there. And, uh, and I'll never forget that because we still today talk about that. We still laugh about that when I get around him. And I won't tell you his name, but you'll, you can probably figure it out. You, uh, some people afterwards were like, was it, was it, was it? I was like, I'm, I'm not allowed to tell. But we had that little match. But I'll tell you what, here's what happened. We got up. We got over it. And we walked out that door as brothers. And when everybody came to see that movie that night, we were like, hi. <laughs> we're really glad you're here. We've worked all day on this. Nobody wanted to do that work. We were here all day. We were sweating to death. There was, you know, <laughs> that, you know, Jim Watts, he don't like to turn the air conditioning on unless there's more than 10 people in the room, you know. And so we were sweating to death. And, but we made it through. True companionship. You see, and that's what happens. When you have true companionship, you can handle the hit. Whenever, whenever you have it, and here's what happens. People typically move as soon as they get a hit. You have a disagreement, you, you start moving around. Oh, you hurt my feelings, and you start moving around. That's not the call of God. Listen, you've got to put up with me in heaven. You can go to another church all you want, but you've got to see me in heaven, guys. So you better learn how to love me now. And same for the person sitting next to you or in front of you or behind you. How on earth can we love an unbeliever if we can't love the brother or sister in Christ? You know, the very first thing Jesus did, if you look through the life of Jesus, um, he, taught, he taught the disciples how to do ministry. And before he took them to the lost, he took them to believers. And he said, I want you to learn how to love these other believers. And he, people that were following, and he, he taught them how to serve believers first. And then they served the lost world. And he did it through a process known as discipleship over three years' time. And I want us to be encouraged by that because I think sometimes we forget how important the body of Christ is. It's just God's called us to make true brotherly love here. We are to have true brotherly love, true compassionate, true friendship. Look what 1 John 3.14 says. If we love our Christian brothers and sisters, it proves that we have passed from death to life, but a person who has no love is still dead. If we love our Christian brothers and sisters, that's the proof. So when somebody comes up to the church and says, man, I want what you guys got, you know what they're seeing? They're seeing this verse here. Because the world doesn't do this. The world does events. The world runs over people. The world steps on people. He says, if we love our Christian brothers and sisters, it is the proof. Love God, love people. 
And so in the family of God, let's make the church a priority. Let's make this family that God has given us a huge priority because we don't need to go jumping every time there's a problem. The problems will come everywhere you go. You must work through and develop this brotherly love. He says to have a tender heart, 1 Peter 3.8. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, and a unity of heart, a tender heart, a tender heart. This is heartfelt compassion, we're going to call that. Love, re- love reveals itself in a pity, in pity. I mean, one, I looked up the different words that were translated. Some will take this word and translate it as pity as a compassionate heart or a tender heart or tender-hearted. Love reveals itself in pity. A tender heart, uh, a tenderness of heart towards other people. You see, in the Roman Empire, this was not the quality that was admired. The Roman Empire, what was admired was who gets the most wins. The Roman Empire did not value this. And so the church ought to value this because Jesus said, This is what will make you attractive to the world. Heartfelt, tender-hearted compassion. This is what God's called us to do. Look at every person. I want you to catch this. Look at every person in our church and realize that every person has a need. Look at the people around you this morning. Uh, Last week I was talking with somebody and they were sharing with me that they were coming to church because they have this need that they need to see a resolution to from God. It was before church started. I was going around saying hi. And I said, well, good to see you today. And this particular individual said, hey, I need some help. That's why I've been coming to church, because I need help in my heart. I need help knowing who Jesus is. The church ought to be the place where the walking wounded feel at home. That's what God's called us to be. The walking wounded, when they walk in this door, there's no condemnation. We love you, but we're not going to let you stay there. We're going to help you get to where God wants you to be. So we look at every person, and every person has a need. I want to say thank you to all the people in our church that served at the trunk and treat. You know, that was a huge act of love there. That was a huge compassion, a moment of compassion and tenderheartedness out here on the church. There were 60-some of you out there with cars. Um, there were people that were making hot dogs. We had like 1,500 hot dogs were being made. Um, there, were, there were, I think we counted roughly about 200 people were here serving and working together as the family of God. We were working together as the family of God. So when the community comes up here and they're saying, wow, what is so different about this place? And listen. What is different about it, number one, is the lights are on up here. It's all about Jesus. It's not about the world's holiday. It's about Jesus, which, by the way, that's why they love our Christmas, too, because it's about Jesus, not about anything else. And so whenever the world walks up here, they come out there on the field, and they say, wow, this is so interesting because Jesus is here. And then the atmosphere, this loving atmosphere, they see people getting along with each other. Listen, that doesn't happen everywhere. That does not happen in the world. People have friendships. People have acquaintances. But the church is a place where we have compassion one for another. So I want to applaud you, church family, for for doing that, for what God allowed you to do. And you went out there, you served, and we're going to keep serving. We're going to keep doing these type of things where we open up our hearts to the world and tell them, hey, listen, we love you, we care about you, 
There's a God who wants to change your life. You know, the world is not looking for us to make them comfortable. The world is so empty. And if we just come in and say, well, everything's fine the way it is. We just want you to be happy where you're at. That's not the message of Jesus. The message of Jesus is, you're broken. I can fix it. God puts broken hearts back together. He puts sinners who have been shattered. Their lives have been shattered by sin. When they come to Christ, they repent. And when they repent, they're not sitting there saying, oh, I wish I could go back. They're saying, man, I'm so thankful because there's a God who loves me and God rescued me and I didn't even know that I need rescued. And I walked in the door of the church and they told me the truth the way it is from the word of God. Why? Because these people here, they believe what God says. Not only do they believe what he says, not only are they unified on that, but they're unified on their compassion and their love for a lost and dying world. Amen? A spirit of humility spirit of humility. First uh, Peter 3.8 again, he says, have a humble mind. Brotherly love, tender heart, and a humble mind. This was considered weakness in the, in the Roman Empire. What was considered strength for that day was to be self-confident, uh, self-esteem, self-assertive. Go ahead and make my day. That was the kind of attitude of the Romans. But I want you to catch this. Humility is serving somebody else. Humility is getting down under somebody else and to lift them up. And that's what Jesus did. Jesus, the God of the universe, gets down on his knees with a bowl of water and a towel. And he washes the disciples' feet. And then he goes and gets murdered for their sins. That's a powerful God. When was the last time in our church family, in our relationships in the body of Christ, that we've gotten down like that? You know, many times we struggle with humility because we have pride. Pride's the opposite of humility. Paul said in the scriptures, Paul said this, he says, don't think more highly of yourself than you should. And I have found that most people get hurt when their pride gets hurt. And your pride gets hurt when you think of yourself more highly than you should. Well, why didn't they ask me to do that? Why didn't they ask me to teach? Why didn't they ask me to sing? Why didn't they ask me to help on the parking lot? Why didn't, why, 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 why? Because somehow you felt that you were up here and that wasn't affirmed. And so God says here, we've got to come and we've got to put all that aside and we get down and we help the work of God. We help the body of Christ. We get down and it's okay that my feelings get hurt. Folks, I want you to know my feelings get hurt daily. It's okay. But I don't have revenge. Look what the scripture says here. Continuing on into verse 9. He says, do not repay evil for evil or reveling for reveling. But on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called that you may obtain a blessing. You were called. And the the, the question becomes now, in this verse 9, is this just for how we're to react in the church, or is it how we react in the world? It's to react in the church and the world. Commentators are split. They say in the church, don't repay evil for evil. Well, let me tell you, in the church, you will get hurt. 
You will have times when your pride gets hurt. You will have times whenever you, uh, you, 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 somebody did accidentally wrong you. But listen, this is going to happen. There's a bunch of humans that are working together here. We're fallen humans, but by the grace of God, he wants to transform our hearts. There's not a community of, of, of faith anywhere where everybody has, where there's nobody that's ever going to get hurt or nobody's ever going to get offended. So when we get hurt and offended, we've got to come back and we've got to not repay evil for evil or reveling for reveling. How about in your job tomorrow then? So that's in the church. How about on your job? Somebody offends you. What do you do? You don't repay evil for evil. Jesus said this. Imagine this. Peter is following up Jesus' words. Jesus was, uh, Peter was with Jesus for three years. He heard all the things that Jesus taught. And what's he doing? He's reteaching them. So I want to encourage you. Read God's word. When, I t- when people ask me, where should I start? I tell you to read the book of John. Then you'll come back pretty quickly and say, I read that all. What do I do next? Then I tell you to go Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And then after that, finish the New Testament. Because the whole Bible is about Jesus, and you must start with Jesus. And if you catch that, and then you come back, then you'll see, man, as I'm reading the book of Acts, I'm reading the book of uh, First Peter, I'm reading the things in Romans, it all points back to the things that Jesus said. And so he tells them here, do not repay evil for evil. Jesus himself said that. He says, do not repay evil for evil. And so Peter had to, catch this, Peter had to get this. Peter was there when they arrested Jesus. And as, as Jesus was arrested, what happened? Peter comes along, and he takes out his sword, and he cuts the ear off of the soldier that's arresting Jesus. So Peter comes along, and Jesus is standing there, and, you know, Jesus is being arrested, and Jesus says, hey, Peter, no. Don't even go there, Peter. Peter, don't you understand? I could call legions of angels down. I could call thousands upon thousands of angels down, but the answer is no, because I've got to go to the cross. This must be fulfilled by the scriptures. And Jesus goes down, he picks up the ear, and he puts it back on the soldier, and he heals him. Last miracle before the cross. Now, how long would it take you as a soldier to realize that was the Son of God? I'd be going, flicking that ear all night long. You'd be thinking about it. He probably became a follower of Christ, no doubt. Listen, the Jews, the Jews had to understand this. What makes us different is that we love our enemies. We love our enemies. The Jews in the Old Testament, they had to understand this. They had a thing that was known as the Lex Talionis. The Lex Talionis is is found over in uh, Exodus 21. It says to take a life for a life, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, a hand for a hand, a foot for a foot. And, uh, and the reason, you know, most of us, we look at that, yeah, that's why we need to punish the way we punish. But what it was really given for was so that they didn't take revenge to an extreme. If you had an eye for an eye, it was an eye for an eye, not an eye for two eyes. If you had a tooth for a tooth, it wasn't, hey, you knocked out my tooth. You're going to wear dentures the rest of your life. And that's what we do, don't we? We go back and we say, well, you're going to wear dentures. I'm taking you down. Why? Because when you hurt me, I want more than an eye. I want everything about you to suffer. And Jesus said, don't live that way. Don't live that way. So we've got to understand the difference for us in our world is that we, we love our enemies. And in the Old Testament, you'll see they prayed, they, they prayed some wild prayers. We call them precatory psalms. Go through the book of Psalms sometime. Look, look here, Psalm 58, 6. 
David prays, break their teeth in their mouth, O God. Isn't that how you want to pray for the friend who's gossiping? Break their teeth in their mouth, O God. But Jesus said, don't pray that way. Jesus said, Lord, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. God blesses us when we bless others. God blesses us when we bless others. Oh, my. Look at verse 10 here. He says, whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. There it is. He goes back and he's quoting Psalm 34. Whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil. Don't gossip. Don't backbite. You know, your tongue, the book of James, you can read about the tongue. The tongue can set a fire that nobody can tame. I've watched it happen over and over and over. His, his lips, stop his lips from speaking evil. Let him turn away from evil, verse 11. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. Are we the peacemakers in our town? Are we the peacemakers in our church? Or are we about what we're about? Are we about being right all the time? Are we about being my way or the highway? Why should we do any of this? Look at verse 12. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. You know what the scripture says here? Basically, we've got, we've got two reasons why we ought to be living this type of lifestyle. Number one, because it's in God's Word, the Bible. Peter goes back and he quotes God's Word, the Bible. He says, listen, this is what God says. And he quotes him. If you want to have a good life, if you want to love life and see good days, huh, control that tongue. Don't get even. Become unified as a group of brothers. Go out and have a peaceful, a peaceful disposition and go out and live for God because the eyes of the Lord, and he's quoting the scripture, so because God said it, when we see it in God's word, that's enough. That's what we do. But secondly, remember this. Look at what he says. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. Now, folks, if God's ear is open to the prayer of the righteous, God is watching you. God's got an eye on you. And don't think of it as like, oh, God's, God's watching and, and therefore I've got to be good all the time. God is watching and He's your provider. He's your protector. He's everything that you need. And He says if His, He answers the prayers of the righteous. So what happens when sin gets in the way? God does not hear our prayers. Your prayers are hampered. Your prayers are stopped. So when there's sin in the way, we've got to come. We've got to confess our sin before the Lord. We've got to turn from it, turn to God. And the Scripture says here that He will hear our prayers. Oh, that's so powerful. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. So I want to encourage us as a church today. Remember this. We have a living hope. Peter's been talking about this. He says, I have a living hope. That living hope is Christ in me. And by God's grace, I can. By the grace of God, I can do what he says. Let's close in prayer. With our heads bowed and eyes closed this morning, I want to challenge you. This this verse, this passage this morning was to believers. But I want to challenge every believer in this place today. 
Are we living attractively? Are we living like God's called us to do? Uh, those five simple things that, man, you probably read over that list. Passed over it. Are, are, are we being unified? Unified on the cross, not on my style, not on my what I like or my preference? Are, are we being... Are we being compassionate? Are we being tenderhearted? Are, are we being humble? Are we repaying evil for evil? Or are we repaying evil with a blessing? You want God to bless you in your life. It's time to let go. And time to come and start to bless those that are your enemies. And watch what God will do. For others in the church this morning, maybe God's been speaking to you. Maybe there's something that you're struggling with and you know God's teaching to you, God's speaking to you. I want to encourage you today to repent. I want to encourage you to turn from your sin to Jesus Christ. He says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And so this is the, the next thing. We repent in our heart first. And then the second thing is going to come out in your actions. Because as you're following a new master, he's going to call new shots in your life. I want to encourage you today to come to that master. If that's you today, would you open your heart and just pray something like this? Dear God, I'm a sinner. And I'm turning from my sin today, Lord, to trust you. You died on the cross. You paid for my sin. You rose again, Lord. And I invite you into my heart and soul right now. God, help me as I live for you now. Help me with the big decisions that I have as I will now let you be the authority of my life. Father God, be with each one of us as we make decisions. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together and be dismissed. I want to encourage you. Shake hands. Say hello to a few people. Have a great weekend.